Happy Sunday, everyone. Yes, so I have, I have one friend in the room. I also have a friend online. My mom watches all my sermons, and she likes the videos. So, uh, yeah, shout out, shout out to my mom. She's the one, one, one faithful viewer. <laughs> if we haven't met, my name is Carlos, and it's just, it's just so fun to be part of what God is doing through Evergreen in this season. Um, how many of you had a, a, just a blessed Easter Sunday with Evergreen? Yes, wasn't that amazing? Yeah. So if you are here today and you're expecting the same kind of message, I want to apologize in advance. Ilsean is, is pretty special. Uh, but we have great hospitality at the end, so uh, there's, there's a reason to be joyful. But Easter happened. Easter happened. Easter happened 2,000 years ago, historically, and Easter happened last week. And so now the question really should be, now What? Easter happened, now what? Well, lucky for us, we have uh, in Scripture the moments, the days, the, the history that happened after the resurrection, and we can see individuals who experienced the historical Easter, and we believe that by reflecting on their experiences and what God showed himself to be, Uh, through their stories, we can benefit from. But one of the dominant um, reactions from studying the appearances of Jesus, the days following the resurrection, is that his followers, their initial response was actually not the joy that we think of Easter, because when we think of Easter, we think of joy, right? Yeah. Um, But what their initial response was actually uh, doubt, Disappointment, confusion, questions. And so where we want to go um, in the next four weeks is a series that we're simply calling I Have Questions. Can you say that with me? I Have Questions. If you're watching online, mom, write I Have Questions. (laughs) But can you blame them? I mean, here they are experiencing an empty tomb and claims that Jesus was alive and then experiencing actual Jesus. Jesus appears in the room. He walks beside. He comes and he says, peace. And disciples have to wrestle. And so, of course, they have questions. And so we're going to be looking at today specifically two individuals, one whose name we know, the other we don't who are on a journey and experience the resurrected Jesus. You may be familiar with this story, but I would encourage you to approach it with fresh eyes and a fresh mind. It's found in Luke 24, and I'm going to read the whole thing to you. So are you guys ready for story time? Yeah. All right, Charlie has prepared me for this moment. My two-year-old, she's prepared me for this. So it says this, Now that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself, everyone say Jesus himself, himself. came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. 
One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? By the way, that's the only words we have of Cleopas, right? He's being a smart aleck to the resurrected king. (laughs) Poor Cleopas. But that's what he says. Because Jesus was trending, obviously, and, and, and Jesus responds with a second question. Notice question number two from Jesus. What things, he asks, about Jesus of Nazareth, they say, they said, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, everyone say, had hoped, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. Now, it gives us context as to what day this was taking place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. Because remember from last week, nobody expected no body. They came and told us that they seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Everyone say, alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. I could make the point here, you always believe women, right? <laughs> you can pause, that's not one of my main points, uh, but you can argue that. Verse 25 continues, he said to them, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Verse 28, they approached the village to which they were going Jesus continued on as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Everyone say recognized. And he disappeared from their sight. Teleportor- uh, teleportation, right? I just messed up that word. <laughs> you know what I mean. You got it. Yeah. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two of them told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. How incredible is that story? I mean, I would encourage you, if you've not read this story, or if you need some homework this week, to go back and reread that story, because there's so much rich 
Ness that can come from it, but what I want to do today is I want to offer just three observations that I had that I believe help us understand God more and also understand ourselves. And so the first observation is this. Disappointment disrupts direction. Disappointment disrupts direction. Let's remind ourselves what these two individuals were living through. Because I believe that their life direction had been significantly disrupted by the crucifixion of Jesus. That was a disorienting thing that they are now experiencing. Because could you imagine what it would have felt like for you to make the decision to follow this rabbi, which probably meant leaving your family, leaving your belongings, leaving your career in hopes that this rabbi was going to do something that was going to better your future. And here they were, in a matter of days, that hope was crushed. That plan was drastically changed. And so could you imagine how disorienting these two individuals must have been? But not only that, we know that the Roman crucifixion was not only designed to cause the utmost suffering, but it was also designed to make a public statement. Don't do what the individuals hanging on the cross were doing. Don't talk like them. Don't teach like them. So can you imagine the degree of fear that these followers had in the days after crucifixion? And so, we can only assume, based on what we read, why they were traveling to this village called Emmaus. One, we know, um, well, one, we could say that maybe these two were from this village. Maybe they were going back home. That was the way they had a home to invite Jesus in. So that could be a clue. They were simply going home because it was over, right? This Jesus thing, man, that's, that's gone. Let, let me just go home. Or maybe for them, their thinking went like this, anywhere is better than Jerusalem for an ex-Jesus follower or a suspected Jesus follower. We, we can only assume why they are on their way to this village. But one thing that we know, Jesus never gave them direction to go to Emmaus. If we read conversations with Jesus prior to crucifixion, he actually says, hey, I'm about to suffer, but here's where you need to go. You need to go to Galilee, and I'm going to meet you there. And then later, if we read um, the account where an angel appears to Mary, um, that angel then says, hey, tell the boys, tell the disciples that Jesus is going to meet them in Galilee. And so faith in this moment, I think, I think we could say, look like two things. One, staying in, a, in, in Jerusalem or going to Galilee. 
Emmaus was not it. What I'm trying to say is they're moving in the wrong direction. Why? Because disappointment disrupts our direction, doesn't it? Here they are, hopes dashed, confused, lots of questions. And this is how they're traveling. Well, I can totally relate uh, to moving in the wrong direction. Uh, for, for those of you who don't know, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents uh, made me go to church. Uh, but as soon as I went to college, I flexed my independence. Uh, I was learning about, uh, I was doing some reading about the Amish community. And they actually have something called uh, Rumspringa which is this period of, of time in an adolescent's life um, a, that starts at age 16, and they are not yet baptized into the church where they can actually go off and live however they want. Well, that was me in college. That was my rumspringa. As soon as I could, I went off and lived my life uh, the way I wanted to live and quickly realized that that just wasn't it that that lifestyle did not satisfy. And so I came to Jesus in the summer of 2006, right before going into my senior year of college, this guy was saved. And I was that guy, yeah, we can celebrate that. And I was that guy, Bible in hand, not of this world sticker on my truck, bumping Lecrae, because that was cool at the time right? Christian hip-hop was just coming out. And so that was me. And guys, I was so excited about the direction my life was taking, this new, uh, hope-filled, life-giving direction. And that was summer of 2006. Well, can I tell you that just six months later, I fell into um, this severe depressive episode, and I had gotten so depressed that I had to, my, my family members and, and the university counselor really kind of forced me. They said, hey, Carlos, you need to drop out. And so I dropped out of school with five weeks left to graduate from college. Do you think I was disappointed? That would be an understatement, right? And so what did I do? Well, the conversation in my head was this, God, I had finally, authentically decided to follow you, and this is my result? This is what I get? This is how you repay me? Surely, you could have kept me from this rock bottom. I had much to learn about what it means to follow Jesus. And so what did I do with my disappointment? As soon as I can get myself out of bed, I went back to a lot of my old ways. I purposely, knowingly, went the wrong direction. And I went back to my partying and my selfish living, and I was in contradiction with my Christian convictions again. So what I want to say to you, I was that guy on the road to Emmaus, not Galilee. <laughs> Why? Because disappointment 
can disrupt our direction. So back to the story. Here are these two guys. They are having their own disappointment and their own questions. And who shows up? In steps Jesus. Jesus shows up and he becomes a fellow traveler, but they can't recognize him yet. And so my next observation is this. Jesus tends to meet us where we are, however we are. And aren't we glad he does? He tends to meet us where we are. Where are they? They're not where they should be. How are they? They are disappointed and confused, lacking understanding and faith. Yet Jesus meets them right there, right where they are, just how they are. And he draws in with intention. He probes He turns to wonder. He meets their confusion or their questions with some of his own. What are you talking about? What things? And so Jesus, I believe in this moment, he wants to know, he wants to know this. How are you interpreting my greatest accomplishment? And one commentator wrote, Jesus skillfully played along with the conversation encouraging the men to reveal their hearts only to reveal his truth. Isn't that just like God? Where he draws out of us the condition of our heart so that he can heal it with his truth. And all of this, friends, not happening on just any other day. This is the day of resurrection. Jesus, consider this. Jesus beats death in the morning, and by afternoon, he's walking with these two. Isn't that incredible? Two individuals who all we know about is one of them kind of was a smart aleck, and his name was Cleopas. The other person isn't even named. We're going to assume it's a man because they're traveling together. It could have been a woman, but this is what I want to say. God makes time for the nameless. Jesus is never too busy for you. Jesus is never too busy for me. On his greatest day, the day he beat death, you would think, Jesus is going to Pilate. Jesus is going to Caiaphas, right? He's going to the political and the religious leaders of his day. He doesn't appear to them. He appears to these two followers. Why? Because the resurrection reminds us that God is for the common man. He's for the average Joe, the average Jane. And so if you're here today and you identify like I do, just as an average guy, then Jesus makes time for you. He meets you how you are and where you are. And this this truth reminds me of one of my favorite shows. By the way, if you come hear me preach enough, you're going to have the list of favorite shows. (laughs) So last time it was Ted Lasso. This time I want to tell you about Undercover Boss. Who likes Undercover Boss? A little bit of a throwback. Yes, right? So here's the thing, friends. I know what's going to happen, right? Do you ever watch a show and you're like, I know what's going to happen. I know that this boss is going to bless 
the heaven out of one of those employees. He's going to send one of those kids to school. He's going to pay for that medical treatment. He's going to hand over the keys. He's going to give a permission or she's going to give the promotion. Right? I know what's going to happen. I don't watch Undercover Boss to see if the boss blesses the employer. The reason why I watch it because I want to see the reaction. I want to see the moment where that employee realizes that their boss became one of them, that they were working alongside the person who was in charge of it all. Well, you see, we know through what we celebrate in Christmas Eve and in Easter, the incarnation and the resurrection, that Jesus became the ultimate undercover boss. (laughs) Here were these two men unknowingly having a conversation and sharing a meal with the God of the universe, the Son of God. And so let this story teach us that you don't have to be a somebody to have the attention of the resurrected Jesus. My final point is this. And it's a simple one, but it's the most important one. Jesus wants to be recognized for who he really is and what he really did. Jesus rose, he beat death to be recognized for it. That's not a secret to be kept. It wasn't a secret to be kept by him, and it shouldn't be a secret to be kept by us. This is our playing card. Right? This is our ace. We believe that Jesus is alive. And it was of the utmost importance for these men to know that. Why? Because um, they, they had a lot of information about Jesus. They had a lot of accurate information about Jesus. In the conversation, they reveal that. But Jesus wants to go from stranger to savior. He wants to be recognized for who he is and what he did. And so Jesus is so much more, far more than just an influential teacher, isn't he? He is much more than a spiritual guru or a noble person whose character we should try to emulate. We know that Jesus wants to be known as Savior of the world, as Savior of humanity. And so it wasn't enough for them to know that he was a prophet, you know, uh, mighty in deed or in word. It wasn't enough for them to know that he was murdered unjustly and crucified. It wasn't even enough to know that the tomb was empty. Jesus' goal, what changed everything for these two men, when they recognized him as alive, as risen, walking, talking, and eating with them, eating carbs, which are holy, right? (laughs) For those of you. Amen? And so the whole goal was to get them to be able to proclaim this. And we see it in verse 34. 
not only them, but the original 11, they said, it is true, the Lord has risen. And that is what Jesus wants us to come to know about him. And I just want to end with this before we ask the band to come up, that Jesus spoke of these moments. He, he, he told the disciples that they would experience this. This was all part of God's plan. In John 16, 22, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and he says this, So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will what? Rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. Here's what I want you to hear today, here in the room or online, that faith in Jesus that is alive, faith in a Jesus that is alive changes everything. And that is why we gather and we celebrate on Easter that he is risen and that we have a living hope. That's an active hope a joy that can't be taken away or changed. And so regardless of our circumstances, although there are times that are hard and difficult and disappointment is natural and we have questions, we can always come back to this truth that was revealed on this day, that Jesus beat death. And that's his promise for you and I. So what I want to do as we wrap up our time together I want to just give you a moment of reflection. And so whatever that looks like for you, if it means, you know, closing your eyes, if it means sta staring past me, um, if you're like staring right into my eyes, that could get a little weird, but hey, whatever you got to do. Um, but I just want to ask you a few questions and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in your situation. The first one is I just want to ask you this, what direction are you traveling in? Are you on your way to Emmaus? Or are you on your way to Galilee? And the way you can figure that out is ask yourself, what is fueling your choices right now? Is it disappointment? Is it fear? Is it doubt or hurt? I want to tell you that it is natural to want to turn your back on God's plan for your life. But I can tell you from experience that the best way, the best direction is following Jesus. It's trusting God in the hard. And so I want to encourage you, don't turn your back on God's plan for your life. See Jesus as active and working in your situation. The next group of people or next thing I want you to think about is if you're here today or you're watching online and you're experiencing something disorienting, maybe Life is not going the way you had hoped. 
Maybe you're here today fresh out of a doctor's appointment that gave you crushing news about your health. Maybe you've suddenly lost your job and have no backup plan. Or maybe you're someone who lost a child that you just really wanted to have. Whatever, whatever hard you're going through, I want you to know that God wants to walk beside you. He wants to carry your concerns. He wants you to talk to him about those things. Jesus is not put off by your questions. As a matter of fact, it's in those areas where we question is where he draws near. So I want to invite you to have a conversation with Jesus. And then the last thing, and then we'll pray, is this. Have you made Jesus a savior and not a stranger? Is Jesus still a stranger in your life? Have you kept him at a distance? Well, I want to give you an opportunity today that you can make a decision to change that status. You can make Jesus your savior here in the room or online. And here's how you do that. It really takes two things. The first thing, it's this word repentance. And repentance simply means I'm going to change from living life in my direction and move towards God. It's a 180 turn. And it's required because if you want to make Jesus your savior, you have to admit that you need saving. And I want you to know that you're not the only one. We all do. We are all in need of a savior. Therefore, we're all in need of repenting. And so that's the first step that I want to invite you into. And then the next step is to believe. To believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. To believe that he is able to do what he's promised, which is forgive us of our sins and put us in right standing with God the Father. And so with every head bowed down, if you want to make Jesus your Savior, then you can look up at me and all I'm going to do is agree and pray with you. So if there's anyone in the room, you can look up and I will agree with you to make Jesus your Savior, to choose to repent and to believe in Jesus. Anyone online, you can, you can type in, I choose Jesus. You can email us and we can have a conversation about next steps. But I want to give everyone an opportunity here. see you. You can look up at me. Father, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for being obedient to the Father. Holy Spirit, thank you for revealing to us our desperate need for you. 
I pray for everyone here in the room and online, however this message speaks to us, I pray that the next step would be praise and obedience, that we would thank you that you are a God who meets us wherever we are, however we are, and you do the work that we desperately need. You redeem us from our sins. You adopt us into your family. We can always have a hope and a future to look forward to. And so I just pray for everyone's faith in the room that it would continue to be built up. And for those of us who still have questions, I pray that they would invite you into that space and that they would trust that you're a God who comes near. We celebrate you today for what you are doing and what you will continue to do. In Jesus' name we pray.